DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. The Father had a plan of salvation, and the plan had a name. It was plan A all along, and the plan's name was Jesus. Adam called Eve the mother of all the living. But Eve really? Was she really the mother of all the living? No, not really, because Eve's children were spiritually dead. I love to pray the Hail Holy Queen prayer at the end of the rosary. Pray it with me now. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To Thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To Thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, Thine eyes of mercy toward us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of Thy womb, Jesus. O tender, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. When we pray that prayer, I notice Eve's children are spiritually dead, but Mary, the new Eve, washes her babies clean. Her children are cleansed with the waters of baptism that ran out of the side of Christ as he was pierced on the cross, and she so faithfully stood there underneath him. Mary's children are washed clean of our original parents' sin, the new mother of all the truly alive is our blessed mother, Mary. Mary also feeds us with the blood that ran out of the side of her son, Jesus, on that cross. Both water and blood ran from his pierced side, as we see in John chapter 19. The blood is the Eucharist, and it is the blood, the water, and the Spirit who all three testify that Jesus Christ is Lord. St. John also stood there, and he tells us in his letter at 1 John 5, verses 6 and 7, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Well, that spirit, the spirit of truth, is also the spouse of Mary. She was overshadowed by him at the conception of Jesus in Luke chapter 1, and again overshadowed by him in Scripture in Acts chapter 2 at the conception of the church. St. Luke records both for us. John and Mary stood under the cross, witnessing the water and the blood flowing from his pierced side as he gave over his spirit and breathed his last. 
Under Mary's motherhood and filled with the Holy Spirit as she was, we are no longer banished children of Eve, but redeemed children of Mary, redeemed children of God, infused with the grace needed to get us back home to our true Father. Satan is the father of the world, and he is the father of lies. God is the Father of heaven, and He is the Father of truth, and truth has a name, Jesus Christ, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. If we follow Him, He will show us the way home to the Father, because Jesus has opened up the gateway. He says, I am the gate. He's the gateway back to the Father. On earth, we remain exiled until we get home to see our Father again face to face as He truly is. And it's the Marian church that helps us get there. John, who stood next to Mary, was given the mother of Christ by Christ himself. John becomes the new son who stands in person of Jesus. John represents the Catholic priesthood that stands in persona Christi and aids us in every way possible with every sacrament of grace possible to get us back home to the Father. It's the entire goal of life, said St. Irenaeus. Listen to this. I love this quote by St. Irenaeus. Irenaeus says, The business of the Christian is nothing else than to be ever preparing for death. Now, that's not the way the world thinks. I'll say it again. The business of the Christian is nothing else than to be ever preparing for death. Are you ever preparing for death? Before we continue our final lecture on the Beatitudes, please listen now to the reading of both versions of the Beatitudes in the Bible. The first account can be found in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Please listen. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now, let's listen to the second account of the Beatitudes, as recorded by St. Luke, Jesus, and the Sermon on the Plain, from Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 20. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. 
But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophet. The Blessings and the Woes, Blessings and Curses, just as we found in the book of Deuteronomy at chapter 30. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. If we one day want to live in the promised land of heaven, the Beatitudes can help us get there. Let's now continue on with part two of our Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study Lecture Series on the Beatitudes. This side of eternity, we're still banished. This is still a valley of tears. We mourn and weep. We're not reunited with Him fully yet. We got a taste of it. We got a glimpse of it. Baptism has filled us with Jesus and grace, an indelible seal. But turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, that after this, our exile, we're still in exile. Show us the blessed fruit of your womb, Mary, who is Jesus. This Marian church will feed her children good food. She feeds us Jesus. Jesus is the way back to the Father. After I receive communion sometimes, I just kneel there and I say, Jesus, take me to the Father. No one has ever seen God. The only Son, God, who is at the Father's side, has revealed Him. Jesus revealed His Father to us. After this, our exile, in this life here on earth, we're separated from perfect union with the Father that we were created for. We are in exile. When the Jews returned after 70 years of exile, they they assimilated into the Babylonian culture. 70 years, two generations almost. Some had intermarried. It's just what the Babylonians wanted. Some were worshiping Babylonian gods. Let's just assimilate them all into our culture. They'll lose that Jewish stuff. They'll forget the temple. It'll all be good. Many didn't even want to come back after seven years. Many stayed there in Babylon. We are exiled into a foreign land also. We are created for heaven, but we get assimilated into this culture of the world. And we must remain a faithful remnant until we make our way back out of this exile and back to the promised land again. It's a narrow, steep climb. We must fight from being assimilated into this culture during our exile. The 12 tribes become scattered. Psalm 44 says, you gave us up to be devoured like sheep. You have scattered us among the nations, Lord. The Jewish diaspora, it was called. When they came back, when they were given permission to come back, they scatter all over the place. They build synagogues all over the place. They don't all come back to Jerusalem. Now, God can use all things for his glory. These synagogues will come in real handy for Paul when he goes to spread the gospel later. But in Isaiah 11, it says he will raise a banner for the nations. He will gather the exiles of Israel when when the Lord comes. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. He who scattered Israel will gather them. He'll watch over his flock like a shepherd, Jeremiah tells us. 
And Ezekiel says, I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. That will be the day of rescue, a day of clouds and darkness. Maybe like a three-hour eclipse of the sun from noon to three. Israel scattered like sheep with no shepherd. The shepherds they do have are corrupt. Nahum 3, in this Capernaum, Nahum's village, Nahum 3.18, your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. And here comes a good shepherd, someone outside the village of Nahum to gather them, to teach them. His last teaching was 18 years ago in the temple when he was 12, recorded that we know of. And he astonished the elders of the temple. He astonished them with his teaching. 18 years later, 18 years wiser, here he is again in Capernaum. He goes to the synagogue, begins to teach. He taught them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Authority of Jesus comes from God the Father. It's true authority and the people knew it. It pierced their hearts. He taught like no one else. They said because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The centurion wasn't even Jewish, and when he heard him, he knew. Could you heal my servant? You don't even have to come to my house. Lord, I, I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. He understood authority because he was a man under authority. He says, come, and they come. He says, go, and they go. He knows authority. He knows Jesus has it. And Jesus says, I haven't seen greater faith than this in all of Israel. And when he healed, sometimes he said, your sins are forgiven instead of get up and walk. And they said, oh, only God has the authority to forgive sins. How can he say that? Who, who gave him such authority? And it worked. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness to the apostles, to the 12 that he sent out. All authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him from the Father. It's true authority like they'd never, ever, ever, ever seen. He's curing every disease and illness among the people. His fame is growing. There's a man in the synagogue with an evil spirit in Mark 1. The evil spirit says, I know you're Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy? I know you're the Holy One of God. Even the evil spirits knew his authority. And the people said, what is this? This new teaching. He teaches with authority. He, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. His fame is growing. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger. The healings, the curings, diseases are healed. People are coming. And the Pharisees go out and begin to plot to kill him. In chapter 3 of Mark, that early, the Herodians and the Pharisees go plot to kill him. Why wouldn't they want their own people healed? It's opposite. The faith, for the faithful, the law had become a burden. They had put fences and fences and fences around the law. There were 613 laws now in the mitzvah. The law was supposed to be a blessing, but it was turning into a burden. It was supposed to be a blessing, like in Psalm 119. I delight in your commands. I love your commands, Lord God. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. I meditate on them. They're more precious to me than gold. And Jesus came, and he said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law. No, or the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's a paradox of the law. The true law is not a negative. The true law brings true freedom. The law brings beatitude, which is happiness, which is blessing. The law is given from the perfection of authority. God the Father, a loving Father who only wants what's best for his children, a Father who's perfectly righteous, a Father who's perfectly just, a Father who loves beyond limits, beyond bounds. 
and Jesus gives the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount. He saw the crowds and he sat down. He goes up the mount and he sits down. This would immediately have reminded them of Moses. Moses went up Mount Sinai. He brings down the teaching of the law. A new Moses, a new mount, but not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He took a seat like rabbis did to teach. He remember when he sat in Peter's boat last week. Each official rabbi had to have at least five apostles. We saw he gathered those first ones last week, but now he's added 12. He's added some more. Three is the divine number, the number of the Trinity. All my number of people out there. There are four ordinals of the earth, north, south, east, and west. Three times four is 12. The divine announcement of his kingdom will go to all the ordinals of the earth, all the directions of the world. His salvation, his blessing is for all. Jacob's name was changed to what in the scripture? Israel. How many sons did he have? Twelve. There are twelve new apostles, twelve new tribes of Israel. Israel's being gathered back together. Israel's being restored, but not by genealogy, but by baptism, by circumcision of heart, and by a new priesthood, the twelve apostles. All the people are there. They are scattered like sheep without a shepherd. They're poor, dirt poor. They're peasants. They have nothing. All is lost. They are under Roman oppression. They have a puppet king. The Herodian dynasty is unjustly ruling over them, slaughtering their innocent babies. Here is Jesus in the hill country of Galilee. It looks like this. And this was rugged terrain, lots of caves, good places for hiding, and the safe refuge for revolutionaries of the time. Zealots, the center of the revolt movement, was here. Battles took place out here. Revolutionaries committed suicide rather than submit to foreign authority like Rome. Jesus takes them to the center of the revolt. He delivers there the Sermon on the Mount, and they're ready to hear it. It's going to be a new kingdom. He begins with blessings, blessings. He tells them blessings. They've been living under a curse. And he starts off with blessings. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Woo! Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, we're poor. This is us. This is for us. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Woo! all the comfort that they wanted in those Isaiah passages. The Lord promised he'd comfort them. Yay, he's here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Yay, we're going to get back the promised land. We're going to get back the promised land. The Babylon stole from us. And blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, we want righteousness. They will be satisfied. Woo, woo, woo. He's saying all the right things. They're with him all the way. And then, then the tone changes because he said, blessed are the merciful. Those who forgive their enemies, they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the clean of heart, the pure of heart, they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers. What? Peacemakers? We don't want peace, we want a revolt. They will be called the children of God. Can you imagine? Just put yourself in that, you know, time. Blessed are they who are persecuted. For the persecuted? We've been persecuted. Our whole life we've been persecuted. We're not up for more persecution. We thought you were going to save us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they insult you, persecute you, utter every kind of evil against you because of me. It's opposite day. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. They killed them. Every single one of them they killed, they slaughtered. Members of this kingdom, 
this new kingdom will be merciful, will be peacemakers, will be those who suffer persecution. This would have been shocking to the Jews. Shocking. It's opposite day. And Jesus of Nazareth, Pope Benedict, makes the case that the Beatitudes are represent a sort of veiled interiority of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the poor. He was poor. They had the two pigeon offering at the presentation, the poor offering. Jesus is poor, having no place to lay his head. Blessed are the meek. Jesus is meek. Come to me, all who labor and are burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek. Meek is not weak. Meek is the deepest interior strength possible. It's beautiful. I am meek and humble of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. No one has ever seen God. The only Son who is in the bosom of the Father has made him known. He will show us God. He is the face of God. The Beatitudes point us straight to Jesus. He is the merciful Son of God, the true peacemaker who suffers for righteousness' sake. To be poor in spirit is to trust him in absolutely everything, to spill yourself out for him, to be poor, detached from everything of the world, to live for him, to work for him, to be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. Adam was not poor in spirit. He knew better than his loving father. But Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, took the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, found in human appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the new Adam, was poor in spirit. He trusted his Father in all things. He was obedient in all things. He loved the law. He loved the moral life that the Father prescribed. This new Adam made a way back to the Father for banished children of Eve, us. Happiness, true beatitude, is only found in Jesus Christ. He thirsts for us, and he's made us, he's created us to thirst for him. We fill that thirst with everything else that the world has to offer, and nothing satisfies until we find Jesus and eat him and drink him and love him and live him and put on Christ and die to self and put on Christ. That's true happiness. That's beatitude. And so we see the beatitudes were a radical teaching out of the hills of Capernaum where the zealots and the Hebrew revolutionaries of the day plotted and planned to take over Rome, their oppressors. Jesus would give there a very radical sermon on the mount not exactly when an oppressed, scattered nation of Israel longed to hear, be merciful, be meek, be a true peacemaker. <laughs> when you are persecuted, rejoice and be glad. It was a radical message, a message of true happiness, exactly 
opposite of what they were thinking. But then again, his kingdom is opposite of the world's. As St. Augustine told us, our hearts are restless until they rest fully in him. True happiness comes from full surrender to the king of another world. His kingdom is not of this world and never will be, for we are exiled until we return to him. But in the meantime, Jesus gave us a new set of ideals to live by that focused on love and humility rather than force and exaction. The Beatitudes echoed the highest ideals of Jesus' teachings on spirituality and compassion and what he himself lived by. Who was this man? Come and see. He was and still is truth. If you seek him, you will find him then you too will know the truth, and the truth will set you free from this world and from the father of lies. Jesus wants to be found for you. So until next time, keep seeking truth. You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.